0: We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. This podcast is sponsored by DonorBox. DonorBox, helping you help others with the best donation forms in the business. My guess is you all have heard the name Kellogg, probably from your regular breakfast routine, perhaps. But I wonder if you know about their foundation and what they're up to when it comes to how they are investing in the next generation, specifically how they're trying to ensure all children have an equal opportunity to thrive. Well, my guest today is Paul Martinez. Paul is the chief leadership and human capital strategist of the W.K. Kellogg Foundation. Paul will talk further about their approach to transformational social change and how the Kellogg Foundation was way ahead of their time when it came to racial healing and social justice. Enjoy today's show. Well, Paul, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Rob. It's a pleasure being here. You bet. I know you are a very busy person and you have a lot going on. So thank you in particular for taking time to share some of your insights with my listeners today. And I want to just launch into um, what you do there at the Kellogg Foundation, which I think everyone's heard at least the name because of the breakfast cereal they may eat. But the Kellogg Foundation, like we want to really dive into that a bit. It's one of the largest philanthropic foundations in the U.S. And I know your focus there is primarily on helping all children to have an equal opportunity to thrive. So maybe you could just give us a quick overview of the mission and the focus of the foundation.
1: Oh, I'd love to. Yeah, the Kellogg Foundation is a very, you know, in my opinion, very special foundation. It was established back in 1930 by, as you noted, the breakfast cereal innovator and entrepreneur, Will Keith Kellogg. You know, he defined its purpose in terms of administering funds for the promotion of the welfare, comfort, health, education, feeding clothing, and sheltering and safeguarding of children and youth, uh, whether it be directly or indirectly, without uh, regard to race, creed, nationality, sexual orientation. He was really a man ahead of his times. You know, currently, Mr. Kellogg's first 11 years in particular have really informed how uh, myself, our current staff, whether it be at the executive council level, our programmatic teams, as well as our trustees, think about the work uh, that we're engaged in. You know, we live by a lot of his mottos and a lot of his statements. One of them that's really famous is, use the money as you please, as long as it promotes the health, happiness, and well-being of children. And so over the years, that's really helped us you know, kind of as a North Star guide our thinking about how do we engage grantees and community partners in really trying to support creating conditions for our, our children uh, to, to truly have the best conditions possible so they can thrive as you may or may not know, Rob, we primarily do our work in very specific priority places within Michigan, New Mexico, Mississippi as a state, New Orleans as a city, post-Katrina. And then we also do some programmatic work in, in Mexico, primarily in the Yucatan Peninsula and Haiti.
0: And I'm glad you mentioned that just offhand. Why those locations? Was there a connection there or a specific need you were responding to? How did you come up with selecting those specific areas?
1: Yeah, so the foundation is really good at data gathering and analysis, and really trying to understand where is the impact or where is the the need uh, need or where is the most need, I should say, right? And so, looking at the data, understanding within the larger geography of the United States, and also in the context of the globe, uh, we found through the data that the most pressing need for children, the most vulnerable of the population, if you will, existed within those states. And it's looking at data around education, around health equity, around family economic security. So really understanding where those needs existed within the country. And then you look at Haiti and Mexico, in particular, those two geographies, similar dynamics where a lot of need uh, to support children and families
0: Oh, that's good to know. Thank you for explaining that. Now you took on the role of the chief leadership and human capital strategist for the foundation back in 2019. So here you are in your fourth year. Can you share yeah. more about what led you to this and what are your current priorities? Wow. Talk about an unexpected journey, Rob. So I was never in my own
1: mind and heart. I never thought I would have a pathway to philanthropy in particular My desire was to operate at the highest level possible to support leaders and their development. Um, That's always been a kind of an overarching, I would say in some regards, a passion and a dream and a significant interest that started when I was in high school. And in retrospect, it's been kind of a full circle journey for me. I am a child who was recipient of foundation support. I I came from a family of uh, migrants. My father came from Mexico in 1959. Uh, He worked the fields from the east to the west coast, ended up in Colorado as uh, one of his family members uh, was actually working here in Colorado at a hotel called the Broadmoor Hotel. It's a five-star hotel. And, uh, you know, through that interaction, he ended up living in Colorado. Uh, But for him, it was a real opportunity to kind of create roots. The El Pamar Foundation is a foundation that supported me, you know, and in, in relationship to my father, in particular, because there was an opportunity for his children to access educational dollars if he put in the the work and the effort of being a a longstanding employee, which he was. All that to say, the the work of the foundation really spoke to my heart uh, when I first encountered them, and that was back in 2013. At the time, I was an executive coach for the Center for Creative Leadership. I was starting my doctoral dissertation. I was highly invested in, in coaching and really supporting leaders. I encountered Lejeune Montgomery tabron who's the president and CEO of the foundation. Uh, I fell in love with the work of the foundation; it really spoke to my heart as a person who is a longstanding advocate of doing what you can to, to support community in the way that you are able to, giving your gifts and your talents uh, to whatever cause is meaningful to you in community. And so, it kind of became this uh, interesting dynamic of. Uh, the foundation had a focus on leadership. The foundation had a focus on serving children, families, and community, which spoke to my heart. Uh, we began the journey at first with coaching and then led into an opportunity to do some work to develop the executive council, the director group, and then the larger foundational staff in 2018. So it became a journey of coaching, then leadership and team development, and then full-fledged organizational development throughout the entire foundation, really seeking to create what we call a leaderful organization and a culture in which we highlight the impact of people working together to achieve our ends, right? Impacting lives of children, families, and communities.
0: Being in the nonprofit space, one of the biggest questions I get is about grant funding. Nonprofit leaders know that grants can be a very important part of their overall revenue. But knowing how to write grants well and where to find them can leave many of us overwhelmed. Well, it's a good thing my friend Holly Rustic at Grant Writing and Funding creates ways to make grant writing simple and achievable. Well, here's the good news. She is offering you, my listener, a free grant writing class. And of course, she also has her own podcast, Grant Writing and Funding. So I encourage you to visit grantwritingandfunding.com slash Rob for the free grant writing class and find out more about Grant Writing and Funding podcast. Once again that's grantwritingandfunding.com/rob. Hopefully that wasn't too long. No, thanks for so much for sharing a bit of your personal story and I love to hear about your dad and and then kind of how that's led to you and shaped your experience and provided, you know, unique perspective. So thank you for that. Um, Now, I've had a lot of uh, different leaders from various foundations on the show, and important topics for many of them are organizational performance, talent development, of course, and community engagement. Now, you've had deep experience, as I understand it, in developing, designing, and delivering custom leadership development programs for nonprofits. So maybe you can explain how you approach this work. What's unique about the Kellogg Foundation's philosophy to leadership?
1: Yeah, Thank you for that. You know, leadership development, as I noted, is one of the key aspects of our DNA, along with racial equity, racial healing, and community engagement. And it has a longstanding history. One of the things I appreciate about Mr. Kellogg's legacy is that leadership was a legacy piece for him. He really sought to invest his money in people. And he did it primarily with leaders, knowing that leaders within respective communities they knew the assets of the community they knew the deficits of the community they knew where the opportunities existed and he realized if i bring leaders together if i create an opportunity for them to learn from each other if i give them data and information that can help inform how to best proceed with some of the challenges they're facing they will then take that information on and apply it to their respective communities so in many respects that legacy of bringing people together whether it be convening whether it be in the space of actual leadership development, and then in that process, really melding uh, people with different perspectives throughout the the larger ecosystem, if you will, and thinking about how do we advance or how do we advance the work of creating conditions for thriving children, working families, and equitable communities together because every leader that we engage plays a very uh, important role within the larger ecosystem. But the reality is many of them don't see the connection, right? They're somewhat in isolation. They believe they're the only ones at this work where, in fact, that's not the case. Um, if they have the opportunity to kind of put their heads up and look around uh, and see who else is in the work and how all the various systems and structures are tied together that impact the lives of children, you know what might be getting the way in terms of both access and opportunity and how do they create path- pathways for children and families to take advantage of the support that's out there, you know, thinking about it more of a a hand up versus a hand out, right? It's like, how do we create the, the pathways and the conditions for you and your family to be successful? And how do we help leaders think about that together?
0: Well, this concept of leadership that can serve as a social process is really intriguing. Can you expand on this idea a bit and explain how the Community Leadership Network at the Kellogg Foundation really exemplifies that?
1: yeah so uh, it's interesting there's a couple of connective pieces of tissue here in the work that we do both from my prior organization the center for creative leadership as well as the the long-standing legacy of mr kellogg and and the the tie-in is between foundationally with ccl's work uh through their 53 plus years of research have identified that leadership as a social process is the most impactful way in which to engage in leadership and you know you're doing it and doing it well when three clear distinct outcomes arise the organization or the individuals have clear direction of exactly where they're going and why they've kind of identified that is their their direction their north star what they're trying to accomplish there's alignment in the way people are actually working together so every person has clarity about roles and responsibilities they know exactly what they contribute how they interact with each other how they actually come together to accomplish and achieve the stated direction. And the last one is around clear commitment. And commitment is a really key one because it asks individuals to subsume their own individual interest and really get behind what we as a group have decided is where we wanna go collectively. When you juxtapose that against Mr. Kellogg's community engagement formula, which is all about cooperative planning, intelligent study, and group action, you see that direction comes in clearly around cooperative planning. What is it we're trying to achieve in community? Have we identified assets? How Have we identified the deficits? Have we identified the opportunities? Do we understand the systems and the structures and the power dynamics that surround us? Do we have all parts of the ecosystem present that can help inform where we're going? And that includes the most marginalized people, the ones that are most impacted by the work that's about to be uh, accomplished. You know, and so that requires intelligent study, and really for the, the group that's involved to do their homework around all these various dynamics, so they can be fully prepared to kind of launch an action, which gets you then to into group action, which requires again that level of commitment. So those two things uh, have married really nicely in the approach that we use at the foundation, in trying to leverage not only the research of CCL. But even the research and the legacy and all the knowledge products that the foundation has come up with over its uh, longstanding legacy in this space.
0: No, really appreciate you saying that. And I understand you recently closed submissions for the Community Leadership Network cohort. But maybe what you could do is share what might be different this year and how has the program evolved over the last three years?
1: Yeah, great question. So I mentioned the connection between uh, CCL's work, which again, at the time when it began, I was part of uh, the coaching cadre with the Center for Creative Leadership. After I completed my my PhD, I then became part of the the senior faculty with CCL, and then the opportunity to work alongside uh, a partner within CCL, but also with the Kellogg Foundation Leadership with June and the Executive Council to develop the internal programming for leadership and teams. And then again, taking that throughout the entire organization that was so uh, impactful for the, the organization that when the decision came up to, you know, how are we going to how are we going to support our fellows in their development, and do we want to utilize an external partner or grantee? And it was decided to continue the kind of, if you will, the um, the common leadership language and approach in leveraging CCL's existing you know impact in the in the space of leadership development, and they do it at a global scale and taking that into the space of the fellowship program. So that was one of the big Key deciding factors that really has had a significant impact for the fellowship around um, utilizing CCL as a grantee partner to support the program. I would say, you know, the other things that have really come up recently, and you likely know this from the work that you're doing and that the nonprofits that you support and are your listeners. There's so much that has changed, right, in the last three years. And CLN two, which started in 2019 we didn't realize and recognize the amount of pain and trauma that our fellows carried with them into the program. And it's not just uh, those from the communities they support, because as you know, they take deep, deep interest in the communities they support and serve, and they carry a lot of that pain and trauma, but their own. Now you add, in addition to that COVID, racialized violence, the divisiveness that we're encountering in our society, a real feeling of hopelessness. And so Really taking the time to think about how do we engage our fellows in that transformational experience that we've designed, but also take the time to really spend a deep amount of personal reflection, collective reflection, allowing them to process and work through some of the things that they carry, help them see um, how they can support each other, how they can access, uh, you know, they have coaching associated with the program, uh, leverage an accountability partner. So all these ways in which we try to create a measure of self-care and for self and for others and at all levels, mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, social, like we really have to attend to the whole person and provide the support they need uh, so they can work through some really difficult things. And that working through is the key aspect of that, but then come out on the other side whole and complete and feeling like they can re-engage in their work in a meaningful way So I would say those are a few things that have uh, kind of shifted, if you will, from CLN2 to CLN3.
0: We'll be right back. Do you want a clear step-by-step system to write grants so that your nonprofit secures funding in a stress-free manner? Well, check out the free grant writing class, How to Write, Winning Grants in Seven Proven Steps. You will walk away with seven nuggets of grant writing clarity and a free action workbook so you can start writing higher quality grants today. Just watch this free class now at GrantWritingAndFunding.com Rob. Again, that's GrantWritingAndFunding.com Rob. Are you looking for an easy and effective way to boost your nonprofit's donations? Look no further than DonorBox, the online fundraising platform that streamlines your fundraising efforts, maximizes donations, and simplifies giving for your supporters. With DonorBox, you can create beautiful donation forms, accept digital wallet payments, track donations, and send auto receipts. And the best part, there are no setup or monthly fees and no long-term contracts required. So what are you waiting for? Visit donorbox.org today to get started. That is www.donorbox.org. Well, you know, as I mentioned at the outset, many of my listeners are members of a staff at a nonprofit, maybe executive director, director of development. Perhaps they're board members, certainly volunteers. But my question would be, how can they operate uh, operationalize similar programs that you're implementing there? What are some of the also the pitfalls, perhaps to watch out for?
1: So, um, you know, I think leadership development in general, especially, the lens that the foundation operates around, the DNA informs everything we do. So racial equity, racial healing, uh, deeply understanding the, the inherent and intrinsic value of every single human being that's within your foundation, your organization, your nonprofit, the communities that you serve. Something really key and important around people being fully seen, heard, valued, recognized, attended to. Uh, just that really significant uh, aspect of of humanity, if you will, uh, becomes a really important part. That community engagement again. How do we do the work together? And then how do we think about this leadership as a social process again? Thinking about do we have clear direction, clear alignment, clear commitment? And I, you know, I would encourage folks to if they want to more deeply understand those concepts. One. Uh, go to WKKF site, where we have a lot of knowledge products around our DNA. Uh, CCL also has product around direction, alignment, commitment. They have some little workbooks that you can actually do some analysis and some assessment about how you're doing in those spaces and generally have the conversation. I think any approach that people can engage in within the context of organizations to deeply learn themselves, right? So an aspect a key element of uh, leadership development is around self-awareness and personal mastery. And so what are you doing to really gain a deeper level of yourself, of your own lived experience, of your own, you know, for example, we utilize the Myers-Briggs and the FiRO-B as assessments to understand our personalities and how those intersect with people that we work with. And sometimes there's really nice synergy and cohesion, and other times it's complete opposites and you know what that creates, right? And so, uh, same with the uh, you know, the fire is about interpersonal wants and needs and how we show up in the space of inclusion, which is in a group setting, uh, the level of control that we want over others and that we want others to have over ourselves, and then affection, right? that that you know what I would call care and concern, that uh, how we engage each other at a more deep, intimate level. Those things matter from a working relationship perspective because we all have different needs. We all have different personality preferences. We all have different, lived experiences that we need to create space to understand and really attend to. I would also encourage self-care. This is a topic that unfortunately, especially in the context of for-profit organizations, we are often so much about the doing and getting it done. And I think more recently, we've taken a step back, almost forced to in the space of COVID. But just having the time and the energy and the space dedicated to really Learning each other and and attending to each other's needs, creating time for for self and for family, and for activities that recharges. because at the end of the day, self-care for me is about energy. Uh, knowing that we're going to deplete some of our energy and how do we rebuild it? How do we think about uh, what I would call the virtuous cycle, which comes from the work of Nick Nick Petrie uh, and talking about in those aspects of mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, social well-being, there's things that we do that fill us back up with energy when we engage in those. And unfortunately, the reality, Rob, is that uh, people step away from those things as they get into the thick of their careers and their work, especially leaders. Uh, it's almost like you lose time and sight of the, the importance of those things. And so those are some of the things that, that I think about. And, and the one maybe the underscoring element to all of this. And, and I had mentioned earlier that Uh, Part of my doctoral dissertation was around trust. For me, trust underscores all of it. The relationships we have in organizations, the relationships we have with our staff, whatever direction you want to go, leading up, leading down, leading across, we all have an opportunity to establish trust within ourselves and with others. And when we can do that, we truly get into that space of direction, alignment, commitment, because it requires each of us to make that deeper level of commitment. And so some of the aspects around that are leading from a space of integrity, maximizing our capability, and really developing the skills, talents, expertise to do our job well. Uh, Leaders have an extra element of that, if you will, and how they lead and manage effectively. And then an element around care and concern, and really goes back to that affection piece that I talked about earlier, How do we attend to ourselves and to people and really demonstrate that we really do care about them? And the other two kind of unseen elements that we all know and experience around all three of those is our level of communication and the vulnerability that we demonstrate to others and how we create space for putting those on the table and working through them.
0: I appreciate all that you shared there. And it's interesting, just a quick side note, uh, the nonprofit that I lead, we're going through a book uh, by Brene Brown, uh, Dare to Lead. And she talks about vulnerability and communication, just as you mentioned. And it's very counterintuitive, I think, for a lot of leaders across the board, but perhaps with nonprofit leaders specifically, that vulnerability on the one hand may feel like, well, that's weakness. I don't want to show vulnerability. And yet that's often the key to unlock really effective leadership with your team. If you're vulnerable and open about your struggles and your failings and and where you are falling short, that opens up the rest of the team to actually trust you more. So it actually builds trust. And as you said at the very beginning of your answer, trust really is the currency uh, for all leaders. And so I think what you're saying is right on. It's interesting, measuring tangible results then, going back to the programs and and actually creating results with a nonprofit organization. And when 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 it specifically talks about programs that have a drive to make social change now that can be a challenge sometimes for many organizations simply because maybe they're not big enough to really have data measurements to really show and and display to donors all that they're doing, how do you advise nonprofits and even for-profit groups on how to do this better? Because I think there's no doubt with many guests I've had on the show, many articles that I read, people that are giving to nonprofits want to know what are you driving in terms of social change and what are your results? But what if you're getting a nonprofit that just doesn't have a huge staff to provide some of that data in a quick enough fashion to continue to generate more donations and more support. What would you advise nonprofits with?
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's an incredibly important question, especially in our day and time when you think about people's ability to give is likely limited just in the context of our economic uh, our economics. And people want to know that there's there's impact that's being uh, derived from their donation. So I, I totally understand that. You know, you'd mentioned data. I think more and more what we're seeing within the context of the foundation, there's lots of different organizations that are trying to define through a kind of a collective gathering of data, what the impact is to the work in nonprofit. I think about the work of Esri, who is kind of using, you know, kind of, um, G- mapping, if you will, data and understanding where different opportunities exist, and and how you know the impact of, of various uh, dynamics coming together. Uh, so, kind of maybe gives people clarity about where the need is and where they can provide support. Um, I do think, in many respects, this we talk about at the foundation, the work is long game. Some of the changes that we're seeking to to achieve aren't going to manifest themselves overnight. So. I think having clarity about what the organization that you're donating to, you know, how long have they been in existence? What kind of impact have they demonstrated in the work that they're currently doing? You know, talk about the leadership, right? That's a key driver in effectiveness and really understanding uh, what the philosophy of the organization is, the people that are in charge of it, the board members, really kind of doing again, going back to that intelligence study, your homework around the organization that you're going to donate and, as a nonprofit, really elevating those things to the people that are potential donors. What has been your impact? Who are the communities that you're focused on? Where is your, where are your dollars going to, in terms of specific communities and programs and you know desired outcomes that you have? And to be able to kind of provide some measures around that uh, that that speak to what you're doing in that space. You know, we really rely on, in many respects, uh, data from our grantees. Like we want to understand how they view. Things happening, so coming alongside them with evaluation support, and you know, again, looking at uh, some of the knowledge products that the foundation carries, we do have some some current research around effective evaluation processes that uh, nonprofits may want to look at and understand, and how they can utilize those and really evaluating uh, the impact that they're having in communities.
0: That's good to know on that. And Does that help, Rob? Very helpful. Absolutely. Thank you. And, you know, the foundation often talks about how we're at a unique time in our history where there's a genuine deepening awareness of racial and economic injustice. You've already mentioned it a couple of times. And this is really fueling a desire, right, for change throughout our society. So in your opinion, how do leadership initiatives like the CLN solve these problems or at least address them?
1: Well, again, thinking about the long game, uh, the reality is history will tell us that this is a 400-plus-year issue. And it's interesting, depending on your perspective on, on any given issue that creates a sense of or, or a realness around oppression or feeling marginalized or feeling invisible. I was recently in a CLN3 interview with some potential candidates from New Mexico and learning about the, the 1680 Pueblo revolt and how the indigenous people in New Mexico were basically fighting for their their survival from the colonization coming from Spain at the time. And, you know, that's history that I'm not aware of, right? And so I, I, th- I find it fascinating that, one, I think we need to get grounded in truth around the various lived experiences of the various communities uh, that we seek to support and help. Uh, the foundation, as you may or may not know, made a commitment back in 2007 To be an anti-racist organization. Um, We brought in that commitment in 2010 when we engaged in the work of America Healing, which was a groundbreaking national initiative which supported communities in healing from the effects of racism and transforming the systems and structures that limit the opportunities for children and families. And that led to an approach and a set of practices for what we call racial healing. And it's from that same journey that we launched the National Day of Racial Healing, which it's uh gosh, I'm trying to recall I think we're in the fifth or sixth iteration, if not longer, in the uh, National Day of Racial Healing, and it's grown and grown in its impact and its prominence. Um, and it really is about again, learning about the 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 present day impact of racism in our society and understanding how do we take steps, all of us individually and collectively, to create access and opportunities to recognize the lived experience of people. Um, We have a current initiative called Racial Equity 2030, and it's uh, all centered around engaging in a global context and supporting organizations that are really trying to shape and influence uh, the, the lessening the impact of racism on a global scale and really thinking through how do we actually practically go about that. And so I would ask you and your uh, listeners to stay tuned on, on that work as it unfolds. Uh, it's really exciting work.
0: Now, that sounds really good. Well, again, Paul, this has been a fascinating conversation. Thanks for taking time again to be on the show. For my listeners, how can they find out more about the Kellogg Foundation and perhaps how they can find out more about your work?
1: Yeah, so um, I'd encourage them to go to the WK Kellogg Foundation. Uh, the website is www.wkkf.org. We also have information around the Community Leadership Network, which is www.wkkfcln.org. Uh, and if, again, if you go to the www.kkf.org, the knowledge products that I spoke about, the um, the work around the National Day of Racial Healing, the evaluation piece that I mentioned, all of those are, are present and more uh, that can support the work of nonprofits. And especially if you're interested in the space around racial equity, community engagement, and leadership. You know, we have uh, offerings there that I think would be of value to just about any nonprofit on our leadership
0: journey. No, that's great. Well, again, Paul, thanks for taking time to be on the show and thanks for all your insights and all you're doing to really support the nonprofit sector. You're welcome, Rob. It's been a pleasure. Hey, friends. Well, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to other podcasts. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will actually help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. You can also join the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast community. Find other resources and interviews of past guests all on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Well, thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better.